to Say Hi to Your Pets, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. In this episode, I will be talking about No Hard Feelings, the mo- recent movie starring J-Law, a.k.a. Jennifer Lawrence. And then we'll get to it at the end of the episode. Um, And I'll talk about some of the other movies I've seen recently. First off, I want to talk about, um, I'm continuing reading these self-help books. Oh, man. I'm, I'm reading this book called Little Things Matter. And I, I've, I've spoken about it before, but I, I am so infuriated by this book. So, and, you know, to be honest, to be frank, there are... There are some gems, and I understand that some of these things that uh, it's stuff that I should hear and listen to and adhere to, and some of the stuff that I need to hear. You know, I think that's what self improvement is all about that you are doing some things wrong or maybe not the best, and these people. This is another thing that I've, I've been thinking about. And I don't remember if I've talked about this um, on here before, but I think I have. How these self-improvement books are usually typically written by rich, powerful white men. That is not, I mean, there are exceptions. There's a guy named Les Brown who I'm interested in simply because he is in the mix in these self um, self-improvement books and he is a black man and then other than him the rest are like these rich powerful white men so I, I that's weird to me right off the bat and on the one hand it's like these rich powerful white men have you know they have skills they have developed themselves and they have experience, so they want to share their expertise and their skills and what they've learned over the years to everyone else. That's the one hand. On the other hand, you, I can't, I personally can't help but feel, start to feel that these rich, powerful white men think and know that they are better than you and they are judging you. I, I don't know why this is so triggering triggering for me, but in all of these self-help books, they always talk about, like, that whenever they mention junk food or eating junk, like chips and soda or, or beer, it's a trigger for me. And obviously, that's a signifier to me, like, well, that should tell you something that you are resonating with this aspect. But... I don't know. I think the main goal is balance, right? And I've said it before. I think all of these self-help books and self-help people uh, are a big a fuck you to the um, self-care movement because self-care is all about following your joy. Now, if if you, you know, if your joy is a Kit Kat, and you eat a whole bag of Kit Kats every day, that's not good. So I think the key is balance. But obtaining balance is is difficult. Like for someone like me um, who has no discipline, I actually did eat a whole bag of Kit Kats um, recently. My wife brought home a bag of these Kit Kats like, it's one of those bags where you open it up and they're all unwrapped. They're like mini Kit Kats. And she brought it home from some potluck or something that no one no one cracked it open. So I cracked it open and I just started eating it like chips. And within minutes, the whole bag was gone. I'm not proud of that moment. But, you know, if I do that every day, if I do that three times a day, that's bad. And if I do that any time of my life ever, that's probably bad. I should probably sp- um, spread it out, you know. That would have 
that would have been probably a better idea. Um, so what what was I talking about? Um, so little things matter. The most egregious chapter so far, and I'm more than halfway done with the book, was the chapter on sarcasm. I it felt to me that this dude was like a victim of mild sarcasm by one little girl when he when he was a kid, and he has nightmares about this girl making a sarcastic comment at him. Like every night, he has recurring nightmares about it. That's what it feels like to me because he, he's like, sarcasm is bad and you should never be sarcastic. And the example he says in the book is that um, some guy in an office was talking loudly at his spouse and they were arguing. And then someone made a sarcastic comment. Hey, I, um, next time you have a phone call, I think you should speak louder because I don't think people on the other side of the office heard you. And he's, he goes into, like, you know, sitcoms have sarcastic comments all the time. And it makes you think that it's funny and lighthearted and humorous and comedic. But in real life, it could hurt someone. So you should never make a sarcastic comment. Here are tips to end your sarcasm and never be sarcastic ever again. I, I, I said, oh, my God, probably... 15 times while reading this chapter and keep in mind i mean i quote unquote chapter i call these chapters but some of these chapters are a few pages long like two three pages long i said oh my god 15 times because i don't know i start to think that why is this guy judging people who are sarcastic why does this guy think he can judge people who are sarcastic why does he think he is better than people who are sarcastic who does who does this person think he is to be able to give this sort of advice that any that everyone should not should stop being sarcastic immediately i'm sarcastic all the time and it's it's part of my soul it's part of who i am i think it's hilarious and other people think it's hilarious sarcasm is a huge comedy i think that's the thing like these self improvement books they are the exact opposite of comedians and I am not a comedian, but I feel like I am a comedian in my soul, in my heart, because I'm, I think the world is bizarre. And the only way I can react and relate to the world sometimes is by making a joke about it, even in the darkest times. Now, some people don't like that, but that's how I, that's how I live. So I don't know why this guy has such a um, stick up his arse about sarcasm but that was the worst chapter so far in this book he also i believe he this is the book where he says you should never say anything bad about anyone ever and i thought that was egregious do you if you're listening right now do you have a friend who you can meet with and talk shit on people it's one of the most beautiful satisfying things ever and that that's the thing i think also in the in the wake of social media that's been happening for 10 15 years now everyone thinks they know best and everyone thinks i need to share my wisdom with the world you don't know what's best you don't even know what's best for yourself much less giving advice to anyone else so so these quotes that people post and then repost and then share it's like yeah that maybe that works for you but not everyone and that's why social media sucks. <sighs> Just keep your mouth shut and keep it to yourself. Um so little things matter. I I I, I want to stop the book. You know, but I I'm trying to keep to this read 10 pages every day. Last night, I couldn't do it. I read like eight pages. But I briefly, uh, briefly, I want to talk about this audiobook that I listened to um, called The Power of Habit. Here's the full title. The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business, a book by Charles Duhigg. I started this book because um, 
I finally got my Libby app to work. Libby is a is a library app that you can access on your phone, but you need a library card. And for some reason, all the libraries that it was listing on the app, I like I couldn't get access to. Like one was in um, this one city that I went to the library to ask for a library card. And they're like, oh, if you don't live in the city, it costs $30 a year. I'm like, Jesus Christ, do you own property in the city? I'm like, homie, I'm a, I'm borderline homeless. No, I do not. I do not own property in this. I can't even afford the $30 a year, much less own property in this city. So um, I, I actually asked my brother for his library card. It didn't work on the app. So I kind of gave up. And then I saw that... Um, I could access it through UC Riverside, my alma mater of 58 years ago. They asked you to log into your account and it worked. I was like, oh my gosh, this is cray. So uh, anyway, I saw this book, um, The Power of Habit. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be about how you can change your habits for the better and how it'll affect my life. And it's not really about that. It go. It, I texted my brother like, this book is very dense and very deep. And it goes into the science, deep, deep into the science of habits. And it's really not what I thought it was going to be at all. And there's a bunch of examples. Um, I'm looking at the... There, it has a Wikipedia page, which is interesting. It goes into Procter & Gamble and how um, it went through habits to develop the market for Febreze. Um, it goes through Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoa, Paul O'Neill. So, some of it is so dense. Like I was listening to it in my car and falling asleep in between shifts at work, and he talks about like an hour about king's cross and this big fire and even at the end of that whole spiel i didn't understand how it related to habits at all keep in mind i was falling asleep not because of the book but i was just sleepy and tired and exhausted from life but like some of it is so dense like it goes over my head i don't sometimes i'm like how what does this have to do with habits but for the most part, I found the book really interesting because it goes on, it's literally the power of habit and how strong and how, how much it can, how much of an impact it can have on one life, on five lives, on thousands of lives, just from a simple habit change, you know, and I was actually kind of hoping that it would get into like how to change your habits. And there is an appendix at the very end of the book, the last 20 minutes of the audiobook. There's an appendix where the author goes through his bad, a bad habit that he had and the quick, simple process that he went through in trying to change it. And he was successful. And that was one small, simple habit. And who knows if he stuck to it. Like, I can change habits for maybe a month, maybe, and then I'm off I, I'm off the wagon. Um, I actually started trying to track my habits for a little bit. I try to refrain from energy drinks, which I'm, I'm doing, and diet soda, but I recently bought a, a, a case of zero sugar cherry Coke. Anyway... So the power habit is interesting and I actually don't really like audiobooks. I don't like the sound of someone reading. You can tell when someone is reading and when someone is speaking from their soul and their heart and I I just like that better. That's why I love podcasts and whenever you can tell when someone is reading like even even during a podcast when they're reading their tone of voice is very obvious. It changes, and my ears, they tune out. 
immediately immediately even on when we'll see you in hell when they start reading like a wikipedia page my ears start to drone out tune out anyway but this um this i i really like this audiobook and i re- i listened to it pretty quickly in a couple days um i found it very interesting and like it went into tony dungy i think that's his name how he was really influential on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was actually um, laughing throughout that part because <laughs> he was talking about how bad the team was, and it was not su- it was not supposed to be funny. But I was laughing because he was like, "They were the worst team in the nation, and it only got worse." Stuff like that, and I, it almost sounded like a parody, but it was not. He was talking about a serious. Thing, and I was just really laughing. Anyway, let's move on from the power of habit. Um, I've been listening. I've been playing Super Mario Wonder lately. I don't know if I've talked about this too. Man, my brain is fried. I really like the game, and I was debating should I make an episode about it. I don't know. Maybe I should. Maybe I'll refrain. I'll refrain. But there's one thing that I really want to talk about, but I won't because I'm going to refrain. Um, I watched Ring. Th- this movie actually got me into... It was the closest thing that, that got me into the Halloween spirit. And I re- realize I'm recording this on November 7th, 2023. But... I watched this on Shudder. Let's look at the Wikipedia page. Ring or Ringu is a 1998 Japanese supernatural psychological horror film directed by Hideo Nakata based on the 1991 novel by Koji Suzuki. Um, it's my first time watching it and it, it freaked me out. I This is the type of horror I think I like. It's, you know, I watched Evil Dead Rise, and it's not really my jam. It it was fine, it was cool, but it's, it's that, it's this gory, cringy, like, it it reminded me of Saw, where, like, spoiler alert for Evil Dead Rise, but when the sister was swallowing the glass, and you could, like, see it, you know, cutting up her throat that's gross and cringeworthy and it makes you scared and it makes me grasp my throat but it's not really my favorite thing Uh, i'm not like i don't know but ring it's like creepy atmospheric and it just gives you chills and the goosebumps the goosey bumpies um and i i liked it i enjoyed it and that fear that it it injected into me that's what kind of got me into the halloween spirit i think i watched it like the day before halloween and a little bit on halloween and i liked it i will say the performances of the two main leads who are um nanako matsushima and Hiroyuki Sanada, who I'm a fan of, um, I think they should. I think they should do. They should make a documentary. A about Asian actors, and maybe Asian. Well, he's not Asian American, but Asian actors in Hollywood, I guess. And then B, they should make a whole documentary on that the employee um, at the Seinfeld restaurant, the Chinese restaurant in Seinfeld. He's been in a ton of things. He was in Everywhere, Everything. He's been in a ton of things. I can't remember his name. And But he's he's been working forever. Um, what's his name? James, James Hong. He's literally, like, he's been in everything. Um, 
he needs to i wonder if he has written a um a memoir or something hong voiced grandpa wing in the animated series gremlins secrets of the mogwai um in 2020, Daniel Day Kim started a GoFundMe campaign to get Hong a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He received a star as a member of the 2022 class of honorees, becoming the oldest person to receive the honor at age 93. According to his selected filmography, he's been working since 1955, let's, 1954, uncredited. And then through today he's still working he's like nine he's 93 let me see his current age um he was in kung fu panda he's 94 someone needs to do a documentary of this guy because he's been in everything um let me look at his filmography real quick um let me go through the 80s, 90s. Come on, Edmund. Wayne's World 2. Tank Girl, Operation Dumbo Drop. Okay, these are not great. Bloodsport 3, McHale's Navy. Mulan. Um, Hero. Uh, Ball, <laughs> Balls of Fury as Master Wong. Chill out, Scooby-Doo, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Kung Fu Panda, and the sequels. He's been working forever, and he should... He was in Everything Everywhere All at Once, as I said. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. Maybe I should make it. I should make it. I should um, interview James Hong. Anyway, well, we're, let's look at... Um, Gremlin Secret of the Mogwai Reception. 100% rating. Okay. I have no interest in this Gremlins animated series, but according to Wikipedia, it has 100% rating. Based on nine... Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 100% rating. Anyway, back to Hiroyuki Sonata. It feels like these two leads were plucked right out of theater and placed into this movie. I don't know if that's the case. I, f I felt like this movie needed like a little more subtle acting and these two, they were good in it, but I don't know something about the acting. It felt like it would have been, it would have played great on a stage in theater but i i don't know they were fine but something about the performances were a little off for me that being said it doesn't really take away from the movie the gist of ring if you've never seen it spoiler alert is the beginning of the movie these like teenagers are talking about this weird movie and the um or video and after the video shuts off, they get a phone call saying, you watched it, you're going to die in seven days. And they all thought it was weird. They all thought it was a prank. And and then seven days later, they all died. So this, this lady here, well, actually, it's the niece of this lady who is a reporter, journalist. So she's investigating it. And then her ex-husband has happens to have a um <laughs> her ex-husband is a he has a sixth sense he's a psychic or something like that and how convenient you know it was a little weird um the movie is really creepy and it's well done and i imagine in i, I remember this movie being huge in 1998 but i i didn't like horror back then so i avoided it like the plague i i haven't seen the remake and but i remember it was huge um again let me let me see um the ring the ring remake came out in 2020 2002 
it's this weird thing. Like, this is why so many people want to, I mean, Ring had a budget of $1.5 million and a box office of estimated $19.4 million. The Ring, the American remake, um, had a budget of $48 million and a box office of $249.3 million. Um, again, like we we can't control that. We can't control what people want to see, and what you know, Americans are gonna spend more money on on cinema. I guess I don't know. But the movie is very good, and when that final scene hit in Ring, nineteen ninety eight Ring, did it creep me out? Yes, but I had seen that image so many times between 1998 and 2023 that when it finally came i was like okay all right i remember i was really big into morning musume in like 2007 2008 and there is a there's a clip i think it was on hello morning their like variety show where a bunch of the girls were watching the ring and then this actor or actress comes out of the the bottom of the TV crawling like the with the hair in front of their face i thought it was funny i know people are going to be like this is so traumatic for the kids i i i disagree like you're watching a scary movie well keep in mind maybe some of those kids didn't even want to watch the movie, but they were part of this music group that they were re- probably contractually required to be there. So that's a different issue, different story, but um, it's a very funny clip to me. Um, sorry to those girls if any of them are still experiencing the trauma of that clip. But it's a very good movie. I, I do want to watch the remake. Let me see if it's on Just Watch the ring by the way i finally hooked up the the stand to my or the microphone clip for this so i'm going hands free look mom no hands um it's on paramount plus which i do have access so i will watch that um ring very good and it spawned a bunch of sequels and remakes and also um it popular popularized japanese horror internationally and the ring was followed by the ring 2 and rings and the grudge and dark water the grudge trailer freaked me out I think I'll, I'll I'll be able to handle it now, but as a kid, like that, the little kid where he opened his mouth and then the cat meowed, meow, real creepy. Um, we haven't had. I don't. I don't. I think that spawned a bunch of like the ring, like I said, the ring, the grudge, but that hasn't really happened in a while. Not that I can recall. They should remake the Wailing, maybe. The Wailing was very good, but that was a South Korean, I believe. Um, that that creeped me out too. Um, a South Korean film. Um, let's move on. Oh, Hiroyuki Sanada. I I recognize him from. I think he was in the Wolverine. He was in Avengers Endgame for a short scene. He was Scorpion. Um, he he has a very, but he's not Asian American. Is James Hong Asian American, or is he just? Uh, it says he's an American. He's an American actor, according to this. He is one of known as one of the most prolific character actors of all time. That's weird because he typically only gets cast as the older Asian gentleman. So how is he considered a character actor? 
No offense to him. I'm just stating a fact. He's always the old Asian guy. Um, he... <laughs> so he was born in Minnesota to Chinese immigrant parents. So he is American. Um, but he, he has been representing like him and um, the girl, the lady who played Mulan... They should make a they should make a documentary about Asian Americans. Um maybe there is one out there and I haven't watched it or heard of it. Maybe I'm the problem. It's me. Um let's move on. I watched a movie called Demon City Shinjuku. If you Google top horror anime, I was in a in a horror anime mood after watching Perfect Blue. And um, another. I'm looking through this list on Thrillist. Another Berserk, Black Butler, Boogie Pop, Phantom, Castlevania, Corpse Party, Tortured Souls, Dead Man Wonderland, Death Note, Demon Slayer, Devil Man, Cry Baby, Elfin Lead, The Flowers of Evil from the New World, Gantz, Ghost Hunt, Ghost Stories, Hell Girl, Helsing, Japan Sinks 2020. Jujutsu Kaisen, Chunjo Ito Collection, Mononoke, Mushishi, Paranoia Agent, Parasite the Maxim, The Promise Not. Okay, well, the list that I went, the, the list or lists that I looked through, this was listed, Demon City Shinjuku. Um, I thought it was okay. And I I got to be honest, my attention span is not great. So a lot of the th these, I shouldn't watch things on a computer. I just shouldn't. But then again, even things I watch on a TV, I'm constantly looking at my phone. It's my own fault. I should stop. I should just turn off my phone or put it in the other room or something. Because I'm not checking my phone in a movie theater. Um, I have a problem. I think most people do. So the story of Demon City Shinjuku was pretty interesting. At the beginning, there is this epic battle between these two guys. Um, and it's like a good guy and a bad guy. And the bad guy... I'm already confused. Um, so I'm, I'm going to get some of these details wrong. I apologize. But... I think the good guy and the bad guy, they used to be friends, but then the bad guy became jealous of the good guy's skills. So the bad guy decided to, like, sell his soul for more power, and he became more powerful. And then, so he ends, there's this Shinjuku city that this guy basically, like, owns. And it's it's full of demons and it's scary and creepy and dark and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And he's just biding his time. He's going to like open up this portal and all but like the major the main demon's gonna come down and destroy the world, blah blah blah. So the good guy in the beginning of the movie dies, and then ten years later his son, who did uh, it seems that he didn't really know his father well, but he's practicing this like he has a good heart, a good soul, and he's visited. It kind of reminded me of Star Wars a little bit because he's this son is visited by um, this Yoda type character, and it's like this older guy who trained the two students at the beginning of the movie, and he he advises the son a little bit, and then. Anyway, the story is kind of interesting. I I wouldn't consider. I mean, I I haven't seen much horror anime, but I wouldn't consider this one of the top horror anime. It wasn't really scary, but some cool moments in it. Um. He he meets a few friends along the way. There's this girl named um. I I I'm I'm gonna mess up the names. Sayaka. Sayaka Rama. 
Um, so he meets her. He meets this little kid on electric rollerblades. He meets this guy, Mephisto. I, I totally missed how Mephisto factored into the whole story or, or who he was or why he seems like a vampire. Um, so, you know, the, the Mephisto's fight with the with one of the creatures was pretty cool. And um, there, there, this, there's one review on reception. It says, Hyper's Daniel Wilkes criticized the film for having only vaguely interconnected action scenes punctuated by some rather dull talkiness marred by horrible accents. The heroine is unconvincingly British and the childish sidekick speaks with a mangled Mexican drawl. <laughs> Um, I didn't watch the English dub, so I, I don't know what that's about, but that sounds interesting. So, the, you know, at the end, they have this, like, triumphant rock music playing when he, uh, the, the good guy, the son, falls deep within the earth, and then he finds his father's sword, who the father, you know gave his whole life and life essence into the sword so the son picks it up and is able to defeat the bad guy it's interesting it's uh, again i was ha half watching it but um i don't know i the, the wikipedia there's not much on the wikipedia which makes me wonder why is why is this why was this on this list of best horror anime um and I'm assuming it's not one of the best anime. Maybe I, I found a bad post or a bad list. I don't know. But it was there. It was on, I think, either Pluto or Plex. I think Plex. And it was free with ads. By the way, on Plex, they show like eight commercials in a row. And I, I understand that it's free. But that's ridiculous, Plex. Come on. Come on now. Um, also on the list was Tokyo Ghoul. So I watched the first episode. And I liked it. You know, I briefly tried to watch the English dub. And I couldn't do it. Um, here's the thing. I, I think Cowboy Bebop is one of the best things ever created in the history of time. And I don't mean anime. I don't mean television shows. I mean, it's best. It's one of the best inventions ever invented. One of the best creations ever created. It's the first anime I watched, and I watched the English dub. And now every time I watch it, I watch the English dub. I just like it a lot. And I feel like, you know, many people call it the gateway anime. I think it's because it's very, it's westernized to me. For example, like one, one example is the character names. The characters, for example, the characters aren't named like Yosuke Izakaya or something. The main character is spike spiegel i i think i read once that spiegel is a jewish name and then jet black faye valentine ed ein you know what i mean just from the character names alone it's westernized it's set in space it's not set in japan or asia or tokyo um in the first episode they, they go to an asteroid named after tijuana so it's it's kind of like you're, as the audience member, you're, it's like you're taking a trek down to Mexico, but you're in space. So I tried watching Tokyo Ghoul, which is, I believe, set in Tokyo. And to watch anime, which it looks, I don't know how else to say it. It looks Japanese. It looks Asian. And then to hear American vo English voices, it's it's jarring to me. And especially like the first scene, it's like this girl creature eating human flesh. 
And then the the English dub is like, I told you not to disturb me while I'm eating or whatever. And then the the Japanese, it just sounds better to me. Just from an auditory standpoint, it sounds better to me. Um, a language, a live action film based on the manga was released in Japan in July 2017, with a sequel being released in July 2019. So I watched the first episode. I liked it. I will continue. Um, I wish I could like English dubs. I feel like it would, you know. I think some people prefer it. Those people are freaks. Anyway, on to no hard feelings. No Hard Feelings is a 2023 American sex comedy film starring Jennifer Lawrence, a.k.a. J-Law, as a woman who is hired by a wealthy couple to romance their socially awkward son. The film... I like how they don't even mention the dude in the opening sentence. Oops, I apologize for my sarcastic comment. The film is directed by Gene Stupnitsky... Gene Stupnitsky, who he wrote Year One, which I've never seen. He wrote an executive produced Bad Teacher, which I've never seen. He directed and wrote Good Boys, which I've never seen. And he wrote and directed No Hard Feelings. He wrote, directed, he was a writer of 15 episodes of The Office. He created Hello Ladies. Um, so, um, again, the last sentence in this Wikipedia is, he most recently co-wrote and directed No Hard Feelings, which stars Jennifer Lawrence. Let's give this dude some love. Um, Andrew Barth Feldman. He was excellent in this movie, and his name deserves to be said. Andrew Barth Feldman, born May 7th, 2002. Um, He is a singer um, and an actor. Oh, my gosh. He (laughs) this surprised me because I kept thinking of Linguini. Um, he, He played Alfredo Linguini in a benefit concert for Ratatouille the Musical. That's perfect casting. Casting director for Ratatouille the Musical. You did a good job. Um, say his name, Andrew Barth Feldman. So written, directed as by Jean Stupnitsky, as I said, produced by J-Law herself. I thought this movie was really funny. And I have become a very difficult laugh with comedies. I don't know what it is, but I I watch a comedy and it just makes me angry. Because it doesn't make me laugh. And it's it's not like you can will yourself to laugh. Maybe you can. I don't know. But sometimes you're not in the mood. Sometimes it just doesn't hit you the right way. And comedy is subjective. So, you know, one thing some people might find funny, some people don't. Some people might find offensive, some people might find it funny. You know, comedy. recent comedies that have made me laugh include this one, No Hard Feelings, and Game Night, I thought was very funny. What's that guy's name? Um, oh my God, Kirsten Dunst, husband Jesse Plemons. I thought he was hilarious. <laughs> He's just playing it straightforward, but it was he was very funny in Game Night. This the gist of this movie. Well, I already said it in the Wikipedia page, but the gist of it is. So the parents hire the parents are played by. Matthew Broderick and Laura Benanti, who looks familiar, but I am not um, 
I didn't know her by name. And they were funny in the role. And they play the parents and they hire Jen- Jennifer Lawrence. Well, they put a an ad in like Craigslist. Our, our son is very awkward. We just, we basically need someone to fuck him. So, so that when he goes off to college, he's not awkward and, and weird and gross and, um, and Jennifer Lawrence needs a car. The ad says, you can have our, our used car if you do this for us. So Jennifer Lawrence is like, hey, I need a car, so I'll do it. And comedy ensues. I thought it was just very funny. There is this infamous scene in the middle, which... Funnily enough, for me, it's like not even the, the strongest or climactic, no pun intended, or... F- best part of the movie but she comes out of the the ocean at a beach and has a fight completely naked with this these group of kids these three kids who steal their clothes and the the movie's very funny that's all i can really say i i really enjoyed it um i haven't laughed at a comedy in a very long time and i thought it was very funny very enjoyable and what's funny is that this movie calls it a sex comedy. Which I guess that's what it is. But I I thought of this movie, there's not... This is not a genre, but I feel like they should start calling this a genre. Um, opposite sex, platonic comedy a platcom because uh, and because here's the thing i watched um i want you back and i believe they call that i want you back i believe they call you um, no not the single by the jackson five um they call it a romantic comedy and I don't think it's a romantic comedy because I watched I Want You Back right around the time where I was having a really a, a falling out with a friend of mine a female friend of mine and she I don't I have I don't talk to her anymore so we're not technically we're not friends anymore but during this time we had kind of a falling out we weren't necessarily close but I really liked her as a friend I thought she's really funny and interesting and I valued our friendship obviously more than she valued ours mine and so we kind of had a falling out and then that was it we went our separate ways. She's living her life. I'm living mine. And and that's it. And so this movie really hit me at a time where I felt like I needed it. And I I want you back. I mean, and I really enjoyed it because of the relationship between the main characters played by Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. But I didn't think of it as a rom-com. And, um, they're just uh, a male and a female who become friends, who value each other's presence and value each other's um, pr- friendship. And at the end of the movie, like, you know, towards the end of the movie, the climactic scene, Charlie Day goes up to Jenny Slate and says, like, you know, I haven't seen it in a while, but he says something like, I, I miss you. And I didn't think it was romantic. Well, I mean, maybe slightly, but not really. He was just like, I, I miss you. Like, I miss I miss you as a friend. And at the end of the movie, he, you know, he helps her with her, um, her oxygen mask on that airplane. And they kind of just smile at each other. And is it a romance? I didn't think so. 
maybe other people would disagree, but I just thought it it was the val- the best thing about that movie is the value that this male and female found in each other as friends. So I would call it a not a romantic comedy, a platonic comedy, a platcom. That's not going to catch on, I don't think. And then I remember uh, Pat Walsh reviewed it on We'll See You in Hell, and he really just didn't like the movie. He's like, it's a very below-average rom-com. And he just dismissed it, which, you know, he has his opinion. But I I enjoyed it for different reasons. A different re- for different reasons. So this movie, on Wikipedia, they call it a sex comedy. I guess, yes, it is a sex comedy. Um, there's a lot of sex. There, there's a lot of awkwardness and cringeness when it comes to that. But at the end of the movie, it's like it becomes a movie about a friendship between a, a male and a female. And I, I think that's really interesting. And I think that's something that should be explored more. I don't know if it will. Um, this had a budget of $45 million, a box office of 89.5. So I'm assuming that those numbers aren't great. Um that's unfortunate jennifer lawrence it it seems like she was fully game for this movie um she produced it she acted in it she was nude in it 45 so it made less than double so what that means is studios are going to take less chances um on movies like this on platcoms which I, I think is unfortunate because I really I really like that dynamic between because you can make a movie about two girls it would be it would become like a buddy comedy or whatever a two guys it would be a buddy comedy but a guy and a girl who are platonic you know there's that argument in when Harry met Sally that guys can't be friends with girls because they always want to have sex with them which Maybe we shouldn't talk about that. But it's an interesting thing because obviously in real life there are friends, friendships between males and females. But I don't think it gets talked about that often. If there's a male and a female in the leads in a movie, it's a romance or it's a rom-com or it's a rom-drom or it's a rom-dramedy. Or it's an Andromeda. Um, if you see a male, if you see, what am I looking for? Rom com poster images. If you see a male and a female as the lead in a movie, it's 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 a romance. You're gonna expect them to get together, want to get together. Um, you know, I'm looking at these pictures. Leap year, train wreck, wedding planner, pretty... Well, I did Google rom-com poster, but still. Pretty woman, while you were sleeping, how to lose a guy in 10 days, why him, Bridget Jones's diary, there are two men in that picture. Crazy rich Asians, when Harry met Sally, tin cup, date night, always be my maybe, which I haven't seen. Um... I, I kind of want to Google movies with male and female leads, images. Um, okay, this is not this is not showing um, what I wanted it to show. I want to see a movie with a male and a female lead that isn't a romance. Uh, now I'm just talking to air. I don't know who I'm talking to, but it's just showing me movies with female leads. Um, Fury Road. I guess te- technically that one counts sort of. Again, I would. 
Fury Road. Who is the lead of Fury Road? Um, Tom Hardy is top billing on the Wikipedia page. Charlie Theron. I don't know. I guess that. I guess that counts, but it's not really what I'm talking about. My point is, maybe I'm completely wrong. Is all the all everything I'm talking about bullshit? I want there to be more movies exploring the dynamic between a male and a female who are just friends. And I know that, oh, here, male and female character friendships in movies. Wow. Real rundown. Male and female character friendships in movies. Updated March 29, 2023. Male slash female friendship movies. A league of their own. I... I guess I need to rewatch that. I know Pat and Joe love it. They're showing a clip of Tom Hanks and Gina Davis. Uh, Tom Hanks was not the lead of that movie though. Um Time Wait a minute. What is this? It's, it's it says I am legend. I, I don't I don't know what the heck was that about. Doing their... Oh, my God. The Da Vinci Code. Why are all these involving Tom Hanks? This article is fucking all over the place. They have the the word bold motivation, which is not the name of the movie. They have a movie clip of Inception. And then... And then in the paragraph, it says gravity. Talking about George Clooney and Sandra Bullock's characters. Oh, my God. So here's a poll. Which is your favorite male-female team mentioned in this article? Dottie and Jimmy in A League of Their Own. Robert and Anna in I Am Legend. Ed and Paris in Identity. Robert and Sophie in The Da Vinci Code. Cobb and Ariadne... (laughs) in Inception, Kowalski and Stone in Gravity. Oh, boy. Um, Platonic relationships often enhance film storytelling. This is what I'm talking about. The, The one article that I found about platonic relationships between male and females is one of the worst written articles I've ever seen in my life. Anyway... I really like No Hard Feelings. I think it's very enjoyable and funny and one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time. Although, admittedly, I guess maybe perhaps I avoid funny movies because they're not funny to me. I highly recommend it. I think you should check it out. I was looking... I wanted to take my wife to it. We never got the chance. I looked at the Blu-ray and it's over $20 to this day. And then finally it dropped on Netflix. So there you have it. Um, I like No Hard Feelings because it explores the, you know, th- that was kind of a weird situation because he was being manipulated into a relationship and then he fell in love with her enough that he was going to not go to Princeton and then go to college locally so that in order to be with her. And she didn't even have the same feelings towards him because she just had other motivations. She was just doing it for the um, car and then towards the end of the movie, they did end up becoming friends. And I like that aspect of it. But that wasn't the main focus of the movie. You know, that it had a whole other plot and motivations behind it. But still, this movie ends up with a, a friendship between a male and a female. And I did like that aspect of it. Um, I apologize in, in pre-vance for my rambling and my mumbling and my tangents and my personality and my soul. I really hope this audio doesn't mess up. Um, Thank you for listening. I hope you're doing well. 
Um, if you have ambitions and dreams in this world, please figure out what you want in this world and fight for it. Try to do small steps every single day to, to work towards your goals. Um, don't abandon your friends. Take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks for listening and say hi to your pets for me. <laughs>